and the federal government says, oh, it's illegal, we still want you to pay your taxes, but we're not gonna let you, you know, we're gonna make you pay your taxes on way more than what we make everybody else pay their taxes. Any other business, correct, absolutely. Okay. It is highway robbery. I think we've scared everybody off at this point <laughs> in the cannabis space. <laughs>
you want to have enough inventory to let's say help your customers and patients get access to different inventory products so you want what three six months worth of inventory potentially in a warehouse that type of financing is a lot more difficult and more importantly it's way more costly so the industry is going through a state of flux they're seeing cannabis delivery companies are seeing interest rates related to financing and in the double digits let's put it that way whereas other industries don't have nearly as much of an interest uh, expense to deal with just the day-to-day -day they might get a better interest rate but unfortunately we don't have enough banking right now for the cannabis industry and so who's actually able to give out these loans like you know it's there's still people doing them right there Even are. though they are high interest? Most of them are hard, hard money lenders. There might be some other uh, private investors that will finance a deal. Um, there was a study that's done every quarter. Uh, FinCEN is a department within the U.S. Treasury, and they have some key words that they search for uh, when it comes to cannabis banks, believe it or not. They're credit unions, other financial institutions. And so every quarter, they're monitoring who's actually admitting that they're banking the cannabis industry. Interesting. And so if you took, the, took a look at those quarterly reports, let's say two years ago, you would see less than 200 admitting it. Today, it's a little over 400. Now, when people look at the percentage of increase, right, you go to 200 to 400 in a, in a span of over a year and a half, people think it's big. And then I remind them that, look, there's over 12,000 chartered, banks, financial institutions, credit unions, so we're not even 1% of what Wait, is this in the state of California or is this all throughout the U.S.? The entire U.S. Oh, wow, okay. The entire U.S. Wow. So it's a very small percentage of banks and credit unions that are actually taking on cannabis clients, but there are some. Loans, super high interest rates, that's, that's step one of what you're dealing with. Um, banks, very little banks that are actually gonna help you open a business. Mm -hmm. And what are, what are kind of like the um, rates with the banks? How do those look? Um, for the credit unions, uh, they're moderate uh, to lower risk type of interest rates. So let me, to give specifics, you're looking at less than double digits. So something between eight and 9% is some of the norm. Uh, if it's a higher risk and the bank or credit union thinks it's a higher risk, usually it's not based on the industry itself, what they're doing. They're looking at the operators and if they have bad credit and therefore, the bank or credit union that is willing to bank them starts increasing that interest rate, not because of the actual business they're in. It's the risk factor of the actual operators and they'll go up to 12 or 15%. Got it, okay. And then not to mention, it's like a lot cash-based transactions, right? So these businesses are literally you know, driving trucks of cash to these banks, yeah. right? And so like, how does that work? Like, What are some of the difficulties you're seeing uh, some of the challenges with them operating like a cash majority or cash only business? I see the problem in two different segments. So one is just dealing with state regulators. A lot of the clients that we've been working with, uh, they lack, let's say, the button down controls. Those are just checks and balances of cash. Um, we highly recommend clients buy a money counting machine. Uh, to make life easier. Like and in the more movies. Like in the movies, yeah. <laughs> make, make it easier, more transparent. Um, and so at the state level, a lot of our clients are paying those taxes the, to the CDTFA uh, in cash by making an appointment. So it takes a, a good operator to really hone in on a checklist. I hate to use the word checklist, but like, did I do this? Did I do this? Et cetera, et cetera. On the federal side, a lot of the operators that we 
have just been having conversations recently, especially cannabis uh, dispensaries and um, distrib distribution companies that are vertically integrated. I try to remind them that the U.S. Treasury has a rule about obtaining cash that is equal to or greater than $10,000, and it's, it, it, you have to track that. So having a policy and a procedure in place where you're monitoring that every two weeks is a little onerous, um, but that's how I see cash compliance at the federal level. Um, some companies may not be impacted as much because they're dealing with multiple customers and they're not one customer will ever given that, given, be given that amount of cash. Yeah. So it really depends on a case-by-case -case basis. That's interesting though. So I actually heard that as well. You know, they're literally driving trucks of cash to the tax office and like paying their, their taxes all with, these, with this cash, right? Right. And what's funny is I think some of these operators, uh, we've heard people say, well, I'm, I'm done. And I, I said, no, you understand that it's only a receipt that they received it on that date. They're not actually admitting that you deposited that amount of cash. It usually takes one to two days for you, the owner, the operator, to get a receipt that they admit that that actually was the amount that was deposited. So somebody's got to do the follow-up. Okay, so let's say you, you face those challenges, you got set up. You're in business, you got a high interest loan, uh, you got a bank account that has you know incredibly high service fees, mm -hmm. but at least you're operating, mm -hmm. okay? And now you have to make sure that you're paying your taxes correctly and you're collecting your taxes correctly. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, kind of the nightmare that we see, you know, there are other software company, WebJoint, uh, you know, especially focusing on the delivery industry, is I think they got it the worst. Like they got it pretty bad, right? Why don't you kind of fill us in, like, you know, what is the challenges that you see delivery specifically facing with taxes in California? I, I highly, I completely agree with you. I think the delivery service model has the highest burden of tax compliance than any other model in the cannabis industry. So if I had to break it down simplistically to a layperson, I would say, imagine you're running your business and you have patients that need their medicine and you're about to deliver that medicine to that patient and they're in a certain city. Let's just take um, West Hollywood, for example. They themselves, the city of West Hollywood has their own local taxes and they have their own way of treating, let's say a promotional item. How do they want to tax that? West Hollywood has their own specific needs and wants for taxes. Then the state has their own specific needs and wants for their taxes, for promotional items, and how you're going to ca calculate sales and use taxes, et cetera. Then you go to a different jurisdiction, and you're going now, let's say, to Chatsworth or some other local area of Van Nuys, and the taxes again change. Okay. So one is it's not the same rate in each jurisdiction. Number two, there's going to be changes. Each city is going to start making these changes and how they make these changes happens at a different timeline. Okay. Then the state has their own way of making changes in taxes. So they can uh, recreate what's called the markup rate every six months. They're allowed to change it and that impacts your excise tax and a bunch of other taxes. So not having a great software product like we've discussed this WebJoint does a great job at this. It just overcomplicates things for the operator. So you really need a good software partner to keep to be mindful for you to manage all of these tax expectations and allow your accountant to run reports so that they can actually have backup 
to that tax report that they have to submit. In some jurisdictions, they want you to report it every quarter. Some of them want it once a year. Again, having that right software partner to help the accountant get those books and records right and also be auditable or be audit proof is critical for delivery businesses. Definitely. So I actually, uh, I recently wrote a blog post about the absolute shit show that <laughs> cannabis tax is in California. And so just to you know, kind of recap off of what you said, uh, there is the excise tax, mm -hmm. right? So it's a 15% markup on a 60%, wait, 15% tax on a 60% markup. Mm -hmm. so that's how complicated it is. And then the markup changes every six months. They're allowed to change it every six months if okay. they want to. So then you got to keep track of that. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have sales and use tax in every different city that's different every city um and if your delivery service delivering to 20 30 different cities and then we didn't even get into adult recreational use versus right. medical use right right so medical patients get a, a little bit of a discount but not a hundred percent of a discount yeah they still have to pay their excise tax so um some cities won't even tell you and i've made phone calls by the way to say what's your policy for a medical patient for sales and use and other types of taxes, your cannabis taxes, are you going to be as strict as the state of California, which says they must have a state-issued medical card? Right. Or are you gonna be lenient and allow that patient just from a prescription from their doctor and therefore not collect taxes because of that prescription and there's no need for a state-issued medical card? Right. And you can't believe the different answers I've gotten. So it's not that easy. So then you have medical people sometimes not paying sales and use tax mm -hmm. and then sometimes paying it and then if they purchase a cannabis item sometimes they're paying it sometimes they're not if they purchase a non-cannabis item they're paying it a hundred percent of the time right sales and use taxes <laughs> i know it, it it gets it's almost like you need remember in college you would have like this decision tree flow if this then that if this then that and that's why i remind cannabis delivery companies, you really need to get with a partner that's already built this in in the software package. Right. The, it, the solution's there. Right. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. You're gonna just make yourself go crazy over taxes. Right. It doesn't make any sense. If only there was one software company in the world. <laughs> and uh, there is. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you have like delivery clients, I, I assume, right? Yes, we, we do. They have a whole fleet. Uh, I think they just started with 10 and they're okay. ramping up hopefully to 100. Um, but it's, it's one thing to kind of, you know, you're supposed to know on the spot, depending on what city you're delivering into, what type of person, medical or adult use, what products you're selling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What are you charging for tax, right? And then you're gathering that information and then you have to, at some point, submit that to the cities. Mm -hmm. right, so how does that whole process work? And you're, are you, you're the one kind of keeping track of that for them? Right, so for each type of client, we try to figure out where they're actually doing business and then we kind of create a checklist just to hone in on the due dates and then how they're gonna make payments and then who within the organization is gonna make those payments who's gonna take on the responsibility of making those appointments if they're gonna make them in cash. Um, you know, some clients are even going through the route of getting money orders, uh, taking that cash and actually going to the post office and getting some money orders to pay those taxes, let's say, dare I say, through the mail. Uh, but it can be done. So it's a, it's a pretty big problem. So that's if you're selling your product regularly. And uh, we didn't even get into promotions or a loyalty program like a buy one get one or things like that right so how do like how does that work like and how do you um kind of like what do you recommend to your clients when they want to do things like that so i first uh try to understand 
who their client base is uh, and make, th make sure that they have a good understanding of the key reports that I need as an accountant for those loyalty points. The best way I've tried to explain it to cannabis, uh, especially some of the delivery clients that we have, is imagine those points accumulate. That's a promise. That's a commitment that you've made to your customer. And that commitment was you made them a promise that they would get something of value. The question is, what's that value? Some of it could be promotional items uh, that are cannabis-related items, meaning a deep discount. There's going to be some tax consequences where some cannabis delivery companies don't realize that the state or local jurisdiction doesn't care that you discounted it to a penny. <laughs> they still want the full value of what you originally purchased it at from the distributor Okay, for their taxes. So that's one aspect. The second aspect is, uh, let's say it's a non-cannabis item and it's it could be paper, it could be a grinder, what have you, et cetera. Um, those have value. And so at the end of the year, your accountant needs to know what kind of promises did you make to your customers? How does that convert into a dollar value to a, a myriad of different products or items that they could potentially take an opportunity to convert those points into? And that's considered a liability from an accounting perspective. So I just mentioned two aspects. One is the tax aspect of a loyalty program. You have to make sure you're working with the right software product that can discount it, work out those points, make sure the metrics work out properly for the taxes. And then number two, at the end of the year, when you want to just get a big summary of where you are with your loyalty points, it's a math problem. You're taking all those patients, you're looking at the industry trend right now of who will actually use those points to convert to something of value, a t-shirt, the, the paper, the grinders, etc. And then you're multiplying that out to actually what you are offering them. So there's a percentage of people that actually will never use enough points or accumulate it. Uh, and then there's other people that will be active and they will convert those points into actual product and value that they want from you. Therefore, at the end of the year, your accountant needs to record that potential liability because it is a commitment that you made to your customer. So you need a really, really good accountant, essentially, is kind of what I'm gathering here, right? Or like, yeah, somebody, <laughs> somebody who's at least knowledgeable enough to kind of walk you through why you need to record that liability, right. where the source is, working with management on what percentage of patients actually will convert into changing those points to an actual item that you made a promise to them. Right. Um, and then on the tax side, that's just kind of, I for most operators, it's a no-brainer. They understand that they really need to right. make sure. Uh, that's, you know, right. it gets really cannabis specific in that end as well. Yeah. Okay, I mean, that's actually a great segue too. So 280E, you know, we kind of touched on that in the beginning of the video um, or the interview. Why don't we, you know, kind of explain to us what is 280E, you know, it's also, you know, directly related to cannabis and um, what headache does that cause for the cannabis industry? I really feel for the cannabis uh, delivery folks when it comes to 280E. Uh, when I look at cultivators, I don't feel as bad. So what is 280? 280E is a section of the IRS code uh, and it stipulates that if you're in a business that is considered to be federally illegal, so cannabis is, those sales, what can you put on your federal tax return to pay your income tax to Uncle Sam? You can deduct your cost of goods sold. So what is cost of goods sold to a cultivator? Well, if I'm a farmer, my soil, nutrients, labor costs, everything, right, that I'm putting into that building, that plant, a lot of it is just to get it to its final state where I'm about to harvest. So a lot of it's gonna be cost of goods sold, all those expenses, those business expenses, okay? 
So when I look at a farmer or a cultivator, their federal tax rate, and what that is, is what is Uncle Sam going to charge for their income tax on that farmer? So we call it in accounting world an effective uh, federal tax rate. So farmers could be between 25 and 35%. When you go to cannabis delivery, right, the opposite end, right to the consumer, what's their cost of goods sold? They're buying it from a distri their distributor. And the way the federal government typically sees it is, well, you bought it, that, that's a final packaged good that's been tested, proven to enter into the marketplace, that's it. So you have sales and what you purchase that product. But think about their business model. They've got drivers, they've got advertising costs, they've got insurance costs, a lot of other costs associated with running their business that the federal government just says, I'm sorry, we understand that's part of your business, but it's not part of the cost of goods sold. Therefore, cannabis delivery companies have the worst end of that federal effective tax rate. Their tax rate is between 45%, 65%, and you look at the farmer, and he's between 25 and 35, right? It's a, it's a very disproportionate, they're just completely disadvantaged when it comes to the taxes. It's highway robbery. It is, essentially what for it no is. reason, yeah. really. So you have um, the state of California just taxing everything they possibly can, the city's taxing everything they possibly can. They don't make it easy for you to figure out what taxes you're supposed to be charging, what taxes you're supposed to be paying, and when and how you're supposed to be paying it. They won't give you banking, so then you're doing everything in cash. And the federal government says, oh, it's illegal. We still want you to pay your taxes, but we're not going to let you, you know, we're going to make you pay your taxes on way more than what we make everybody else pay their taxes Any on. other business, correct. Absolutely. Okay. It is highway robbery. I think we've scared everybody off at this point <laughs> in the cannabis space. <laughs> okay, so let's continue scaring people. How about um, compliance costs, right? There's some stuff associated with that as well, right? Right, and compliance costs, so if we move away from just let's get rid of the, the tax process of paying your taxes, which is a compliance process. Let's just get into reporting to the state. So each state has their own reporting requirements. So let's just take California, for example, they have a metric and you have to upload the data eventually up to metric and the state owns that data. They're gonna review it, analyze it. And what I've told our clients is metric itself to get training on it doesn't take eight or 12 hours, okay? But I want you to please budget a full week to understand metric, not by just understanding how the software gets turned on, how you export data and upload data. That, that Those are just a handful of hours. What I'm asking them to do is understand the process of their business and when things change, not according to plan. For example, we all know in retail that sometimes product goes missing, right? Or it gets damaged, right? Not according to plan. So how is that business gonna handle the compliance reporting requirement back to metric? Do they really know who's doing what? When is it gonna get approved? How does it get uploaded? All of that, has that really been flushed out in the business process for that business before they upload it to metric? The second thing I mentioned to uh, cannabis licensed businesses is, Remember, you cannot delegate the liability of that data to someone else. When you sign up on the terms and conditions with the state of California and you're uploading data into metric, you can't go and say, you know what, it was so-and-so's fault. I, I, you know, it, it really wasn't me. 
the state doesn't see it that way. They say, you're the licensed operator, you are the executive, actually the liability does fall on you. So when I say budget a week to get to know metric and all of your processes to comply with it, that is another reason why, that's the second component of why I ask them to spend at least about a week to really hone in on what they need to do for compliance. Are you seeing these businesses um, also hire on additional staff just to take care of their compliance? Yeah, there's a new emerging title, it's compliance officer, some people call it like um, an operating officer which has a compliance component, but it is a new uh, title that I'm seeing in the marketplace. So that's costing them money too? Exactly, another okay. human being in there. So why are we even in this industry? Like why is it so expensive? Like is how people are making money or? I, what I tell operators is um, when you look at inventory, right, usually there's a bonding, there's an attachment. And most of the people I've met had a passion of getting into the industry without the money component. Right. It, it usually was a friend, family, themselves. They see the positive ripple effect of what this plant can do for right. medicinal purposes, okay? And when I ask them to further visualize their stance in this industry is when you look at an inventory, your shelf, right, and you look at it, I know you see great products that are going to do a, a great, wonderful benefit to the community, okay? I want you to look at it from an accountant's point of view, my view. I want you to see stacks of $20 bills, okay, as you're stacking your inventory, you're counting them out. And I want you to imagine that you're going to triple that stack, okay? And in my world, it's called an inventory turn ratio. How fast will this get to a patient that will order it and then it'll convert my current stack of $20 bills to three times that or maybe four times that? And the reason why I hone in on that movement of cash and getting them to visualize that those inventory stacks of cash is I don't want them to get too emotionally bound to a product that, let's say, isn't moving as fast enough because at the end of the day, it is gonna be about the business and turning that inventory and converting that back into cash. So getting your accountant to kind of help you understand what inventory movement is like, right, in their inventory back office warehouse versus just looking at the end sales and the profitability per product, that's usually where they focus their energy on. And I'm telling them, look, I think we in California are really at the epicenter of a lot of brands and a lot of emerging new products, and working with uh, a, a, a great software that can hone in on where these brands are headed, and we've talked about this in the industry about brands needing to get a return on investment from marketing dollars. I see it, you see it from a marketing perspective. The accountant in me is trying to share with the retailers a quick analogy is, have you ever heard your parents say, show me who your friends and then I'll show you who you are. Right. right. So for cannabis retailers, I say, look, show me the brands that you're carrying and then I'll show you your patients. Right. And so if you can't show me that inventory turn that's happening fast enough, then you made a mistake for your patient base. You can't be the retailer for every patient. So you'll eventually find your niche and when I speak to them about, you know, what we've been talking about, the, the branding software platform, mm -hmm. I use that same analogy saying, you're the cannabis delivery company. Show me the brands. If these brands are in play with you, 
working with a software package that can give them that return on investment for their marketing dollars, but more importantly, help you turn to the patients that you already are helping out, it's a win-win. So I see the future of a lot of cannabis deliveries working and partnering up with uh, what you guys have been working on a lot. Appreciate that, thank yeah. you. But so what you, you, kind of what you're saying is um, if you know the, the retailers that kind of find their niche, right, find their niche audience, I mean even like you and I, right, like you found a niche or we found the niche in cannabis. You know, mm -hmm. I wasn't always making software for cannabis, right. you weren't always an accountant for cannabis, but we, we, we found the niche and we picked it. And then we started seeing success. Mm -hmm. So retailers in the space, they find a niche with their patients, they pick it and they continue doing that and what's working for them then they're profitable even though you know they do have a lot of these hurdles to run through. Absolutely, and I think that it's gonna to get to a, a state of maturity where cannabis delivery companies that are already using, let's just say WebJoint for example, they're gonna to want to partner with their friends because it aligns with what they are, their identity. And they're gonna align with those brands that are using the branding software that you guys have been working so hard on. Right. Why, because it, it's, there's a synergy there. Right. You know, I want to partner with the same people that are on the same team as me, right. going after the same goals. Right. And going after the same people and, and customers and people. patients. Right. So why am I going to use a lot of my time and energy with a brand that isn't on board with the patient base that I have? And more importantly, trying to, you know, minimize the amount of cost, sales acquisition costs, getting to the patients that I already am passionate about servicing, my niche. Right. So. I think the industry is going to mature that way and these synergies are going to happen very, very quickly because it's going to make so much sense to both parties. What, what do you think about the taxes? Like, do you ever see that getting better? Do you ever see that changing or what needs to happen in that sense? I think um, patients need to advocate for themselves and start telling their elected officials how they feel about paying, you know, a 60% type of tax over a retail price when you start adding in compliance costs and other costs and this type of cost. It makes no sense. I mean, I can't think of one product that we tax more than we do for cannabis. And I went on TV, this is a, a couple of years ago, and I was trying to explain to one of the anchors there, do you know the cost of one cigarette can be, for a pack, can be less than a dollar, but if you were to, God forbid, buy a joint, it's $15. One has been proven to kill you, cause cancer, and the other one doesn't. So it just, it doesn't make sense. So for me, from a tax perspective, I think a lot of people need to be more aware. The, the more patients that use this as a medicine, I think they're gonna be more upset about why are we being taxed so heavily? The end product shouldn't be $15. For a joint, it should be closer to fifty cents right. compared to a, a cigarette. Right. That's uh, so why I'm, I'm all for the medical market as well because I feel like that's kind of what pushes the conversation forward, and the people using it medically, um, you know, it's 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 a medicine to them. So why are they paying that much money for their medicine? Yeah. But the, but also we live in America, and the healthcare system here. But it's a I guess it's, it's another side note. But I mean, you've I don't know if you've heard the recent. Uh, conversation from professional football players. Mm -hmm. yeah, they yeah, they the want to have access right. to their medicine. Think right. about how many times they get hit in the head or shoulder or whatever. Yeah. We know that it's not a performance enhancing drug. Yeah. 
But if their doctor would much rather prescribe something cannabis related, think about the pros and cons to that professional athlete. And now the commissioner, they're actually really considering it going, why are we banning it? It, it doesn't make any sense. Why are they sense. banning it? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So we talked about a lot of different things in this conversation, uh, but just to kind of summarize it all, what do you think the top three things are that a cannabis retailer or brand uh, needs to watch out for? And top three tips that you could give for those people in the cannabis industry. Uh, the top three, that's a good question. Uh, the first I would recommend is really know your customer. You cannot be a retailer or a brand to everybody. And once you hone in on who your true buyer persona is and who you, who you are really passionate about servicing, a lot of everything about your operations is actually going to be a lot clearer. That, that would be number one. Number two is I would recommend uh, cannabis brands and retailers to work with their accountant on what are the key financial metrics that matter most to make that service to that buyer, that customer that they're so passionate about, how, what measurements do they need to be focusing in on? I already know my metrics that I love, and I've mentioned it earlier about the inventory turn and all that good stuff uh, related to inventory and also loyalty programs. And then the third item I would recommend to cannabis uh, retailers and brands is be careful about your cash flow because we are in a mainly cash business and I've already seen many people get burned on not having enough cash being present when they actually owe a tax bill or God forbid they owe payroll. So that would be the other third little tip I would recommend for cannabis brands and cannabis retailers. That wraps up another episode of Connecting Cannabis. Thank you so much for joining us, Sonia. Thank you for having me. Of course, why don't you go ahead and plug into this camera where people could find you. Uh, if they love this video, they could check you out elsewhere. Awesome, thank you. Well, I hope you get to find me on LinkedIn, Sonia Luna. You can also check us out at www.avivaspectrum.com and we're also on Instagram at avivaspectrum. And of course for us, you know, just webjoint.com. Subscribe to our newsletter there, just put in your email and you'll get all of our Connecting Cannabis episodes, uh, you know, all of our blog posts, just educational cannabis business related content. Um, on Facebook, uh, we're just at WebJoint. Uh, LinkedIn, you can find us there. YouTube, at WebJoint. Um, and you guys know the rest. So thank you for watching. And until next time, we'll see you later. Awesome. High five. Nice. Awesome. So proud. Thank you, Sonia.